I was thinking the other day that um, you can tell a lot about somebody by the bumper stickers on their car, right? You know, you see a bumper sticker that says, Cougar Mom, you know? And if I were to say, how about them Huskies? <laughs> we'd, we'd probably have a mixed bag. I, we're, a, we're a house divided. Our daughter went to grad school at WSU, and Ann and I went to the University of Washington. But uh, anyway, you can tell a lot. Or how about this one? Coexist. You know, which basically says, can't we all get along? Or... Um, they might be philosophical. Nothing changes until something changes. <laughs> it's actually true, though, you know? The one that catches my eye sometimes is this one. You know, the first time I saw that bumper sticker was probably over 30 years ago. In the wake of Vietnam and uh, Watergate, that bumper sticker took on particular meaning. You know, and I had to admit, at the time, it felt angry. It felt rebellious. It, it, it felt like someone was driving around shaking their fist at whoever was perceived to be in charge of anything. Today it seems kind of mild. In fact, we almost see that and we, we chuckle a little bit, which only speaks to how far the issue of mistrust of authority has gone. The collective issue we have with authority has infected just about every social institution we have. We don't trust experts anymore, and rightly so in many ways. I mean, sometimes our, our trust in authorities has been, been misplaced. Uh, those in authority, those that are considered experts, don't always get it right. Here were a couple. Teacher was talking to a father. And he said, it doesn't matter what he does, he will never amount to anything. He was talking about Albert Einstein in 1895. John Newman was a computer scientist. In 1949, he said, it would appear we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. <laughs> Didn't quite hit that one, did you, John? I predict the internet will go spectacularly supernova. In, this, in 1996, it will catastrophically collapse. That was uh, Bob Metcalf of InfoWorld in 1995. We don't always get it right. But the level of mistrust and anger at the authorities in our society today is way out of proportion to reality. Let me say that again. The level of mistrust and the anger at our institutions today 
is way out of proportion to reality. Jesus warned his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, that the rulers of the Gentiles do what? They lord it over other people. That's why we mistrust authorities. He says, it's not to be so among you. For he who would be first must be last. The servant is the one who we are to look to. But he did not say that all authority is illegitimate. We need authorities in our life. Life without authorities is chaos. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, is one of the verses I wondered often why it's even in the Scripture, because it scares me. Be subject to the governing authorities. You know who he's talking about? Nero. So let's not be too harsh on the Republicans or the Democrats that are in authority. We have a responsibility as Christians to grapple with that. Because just because there's bad authority doesn't mean there should be no authorities. And so the question for us is what does godly authority look like? What does godly authority look like that we should not only obey, but we should celebrate? Ironically, it looks like a man riding a donkey on a Sunday morning into Jerusalem in March around 33 A.D. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. I want to talk about this issue of authority this morning. What does godly authority look like? And what should be our response to it? And how should it shape our response to other authorities in our life? And if this message makes you uncomfortable, it makes me uncomfortable. Okay? Just know that. Let's read it together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And someone standing there said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said. And they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is the, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming King of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. 
And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The first 11 verses of Mark's gospel are very familiar to us. It, um, it's what we've come to call Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. And what it actually is, the, the optics of it, if you think about it, almost seem comical. And that's intentional. It seems kind of strange because what Jesus was doing, literally, was he was presenting himself as the king. He was arriving in the city, and he was finally, finally at last, after three years, the first ten chapters of Mark deal with the first three years of his ministry. The last six chapters will now deal with one week. And this is Sunday morning of that week. And he's presenting himself as the king as he arrives uh, to announce the coming of the kingdom of David. The kingdom is at hand. I'm here, folks. After 400 years of silence, the king had arrived. And in the back of everybody's mind, as Jesus came riding in on a donkey, was what would, would have been typical. For in that day, a Roman general who had conquered a city would return to Rome on a prancing stallion, a war horse, mighty and powerful. And, or he would be in a chariot, a gilded chariot that was an example of you know, a war machine. And behind him would be a ragtag group of captives that they had captured during the battle. And as they entered Rome, there would be cheering crowds and they would eventually take these captives to the Colosseum to meet the animals. And here he is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe who knows you and I by name, riding on a donkey, people shouting, screaming, carrying on. But do you notice seven of the first 11, seven, (laughs) seven of the first 11 verses are about the acquisition of the donkey. Did you notice that? The seven 11ths of the the first checks was about how to get the donkey, the foal, the young animal that had probably that it said, we were told had never been written. Why would why would the writer spend so much time? I think there's a couple of reasons. The first is he's demonstrating, Christ is demonstrating that although it might look you know unusual, he is demonstrating that he is the authority. He is the king. He is arriving to establish his kingdom. And I believe it was a genuine offer. He wasn't faking it. It was a genuine offer. And Coming as he did, he demonstrated by telling them how they would find it, where they would find it, and it all passed just as he said. And did you notice what they were told to say? 
They were told to say, if anyone asks you, what do you say? The Lord needs it. He was establishing that he was indeed the Messiah, that he was God. Okay? Don't miss that. The one who is seemingly in this position of weakness almost was the the Lord of all. He was the, the one who was orchestrating this. And not only that, he was doing it in complete fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, listen to what he, the, prophecy, the prophecy of this day was. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. 500 years before Christ, a donkey on a colt on the foal of a donkey. It's exactly as had been prophesied 500 years earlier. Did you notice that phrase? He is riding... Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Okay, got it. Humble. Humble. Interesting word for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What does godly authority look like, men and women? Godly authority looks like humble authority. Humble authority. Imagine that, a humble authority. God, we almost shake a little bit when we say it. A humble God. I didn't say it. Zechariah said it. Godly authority is seen when humility is personified in a leader. Let's let that sink in for a second. The one who was in control was humble. The crowd sang and danced. They were shouting and enjoying and enjoying the moment because they envisioned that for so long they'd been under the thumb of Rome and here he came on a donkey. And he was going to wipe them all out. And I'll bet the conversations in the crowd were... I don't know how he's going to do this, but I guess he can. That he was going to sweep away their oppression. Hosanna, which means save us now. (laughs) It's not just save us, it's save us now. There's a sense of urgency to it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which by way was from Psalm 118. They sang it as they came up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And I have little doubt, though, that many in that crowd that day who were shouting, Hosanna, on Sunday morning, would be shouting, crucify him on Friday afternoon. Why? Because the kingdom of God didn't look like they thought it would. It didn't turn out the way he envisioned. They envisioned. He didn't, he didn't fit the scheme. Where was the, 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 the big, powerful horse? I mean, we think, I mean, humble authority is almost 
Well, it's like an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, don't you? George Carlin, the late comedian, used to talk about jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. Humble. Authority. Humble. Authority. There's this, this sense that, that it just didn't seem to fit all their categories. But Jesus comes into the city. He makes this offer. He gets off the, the donkey and he walks up a few steps up into the temple, into the outer temple. And he looks around and you would think, okay, here it comes. Here it comes. He's going to really lay it on him. He looks around. He came. He shopped. He looked around and then he left. That's it? That's all? Really? And presumably he went back the way he came. Came out through the, the mercy gate on the eastern side of the city. Right at the foot of the temple mount where the temple sits. Crossed the Kidron Valley. Past a, a little olive grove called Gethsemane. Up the Mount of Olives to the east. Gets to the peak. It actually would look more like the foothills here. Wasn't that high. I've, I've stood on the Mount of Olives. And look down and it looks over the temple. Or at least where the temple was. It looks over a mosque now. To the city of Bethany. Where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. Their home in Bethany. Which is where he probably stayed most of the time. When he came to Jerusalem. Somewhere in, in, in this time. In Luke's gospel. We, it's not incorporated in Mark's gospel, but we read that as Jesus looked over the city and he looked at the temple, he wept. The triumphal entry ended up with him going back to Bethany and as he looked out from the Mount of Olives, he wept. He wept not because they, sh they didn't pay attention to him, he wept for them. The self-proclaimed king cried for his subjects. You see, the truth was, most of the city of Jerusalem on that day paid no attention. They were getting ready for Passover. They were getting ready for something. They had other things to do. They were busy. Yeah, it was pretty impressive for the people that were there. But when he got to the temple and he looked around, well, it looks pretty much like it always does. Walked into the outer court, you know. It looked like Costco. People going here and there and jammed with crowds. Pigeons flying. Doves. Animals Lambs. It was noisy. It was raucous. Okay. Let's go. And he headed back home. People were too busy, too cynical, 
too distracted, too content to see their need for a king and a savior. You see, Jesus extends an invitation to them and to us. And apparently they shouldn't have time to RSVP. Recognizing Christ's authority in our life is a a central part of what it means to walk with Jesus. Recognizing his authority is an invitation to be RSVP'd, not to be ignored. Godly authority extends an invitation. How will we respond? And to be honest, are we all that different today? Are we really all that different? Our our lives are crowded with activities and plans, and our minds are clouded by distractions and temptations. And the still, quiet voice of God that is wanting to speak to us is hard to hear above the cacophony of, of voices that are crawling for our attention, calling for our money, and recently calling for our vote, votes. We live in a, in a society in which the supreme virtue is personal autonomy, freedom. You're not the boss of me, you'll hear your six-year-old say. They learn it young. We learn it young. Personal autonomy, personal freedom is the supreme virtue. We have, do not have the right to tell anybody else whatever, according to common custom anyway. We don't have any right to tell them what to do. And that personal freedom means virtually, I can do whatever I choose. You can't tell me how to live my life. And you know, I get it. If we, if we don't recognize Christ as our Lord, that would make sense. Do, do whatever you want to do. It's up to you. But the thing that saddens me is I hear that voice from Christians. I can do what I want to do. God, God's okay with it. You know, I can live with this person. You know, if I, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. And we do it not based on scripture, but on personal feelings. I felt led to do it. I mean, you fill in the blank there too. And I think it's out of misguided notions of what it means to be free. And even in our own day, what it means to be a patriot. We just came through a pandemic. The governing authorities in this area asked churches to withhold meeting in a large group. Not saying you cannot share the gospel. Not saying you cannot worship. They're simply saying, for the good of the society, we're asking you for a time to not meet in this fashion. And the churches that did, any, or that, that were compliant with that rec- request, many of the people who didn't comply with it, you know what they called us, called me? Sheep, mockingly, sheep. 
just following whatever. I'm glad I'm his sheep. I hope you are too. Because we all need godly authority to live under. What does it mean to call Jesus Lord if he's not the authority in my life? What does it mean to say, Lord, use me for your purposes, your glory, not mine? See, godly authority is never about me. It's never about the self. And when you see that in people, pastors, politicians, family members, that's not godly authority that's speaking to them. That's not godly authority that's speaking through them. Humble authority is our call. Lordship means not just something I say when I come to faith in Jesus, but it means something that every day I say, Lord, okay, today, not today, Satan. Today, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I've been bought with a price. So have you. So, Lord, I want to be used by you today. I submit my life to you today to be used for your glory. We don't like the word submission, do we? I mean, I say the word submission and some of us are going, oh. And the reason is, is because it's been, it's been so abused. It's been misused. It's been, you know, husband turns to his wife and says, in Ephesians, it says, so you should submit to your husband. How's that working for you? It's been abused, but that doesn't mean it's not right. In other words, submitting to, to Christ's authority is not abusive. It's life-giving. It's designed to free us up. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? 10? I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. And again, look, I'm going to read from Matthew. Just follow along on the screen. Matthew 28. Come to me, all who are labored who labor or are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is godly authority. That is what it means to, to put myself under him and say, Lord, use me. Why? Because the yoke that he puts on us, he knows us. It's crafted in such a way that it will fit you perfectly. He knows your gifts. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. And it's designed that it not be something that, that you're being driven by a tyrant back on the reins, but you're being driven or, or, or brought along by a loving shepherd. I get this picture of a, of a sheep in a, with an ox thing hanging over him. It's, it's, it's this idea that, you see, we think that we can come up with a better way to run our lives, don't we? We think that somehow, you know what? The God who created everything really doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. I think I can run my life better. Well, not so fast. In fact, it's foolish to ignore this invitation, to ignore the RSVP and not accept it. Because this, because the offer is so good.
Okay. I got about five minutes. So I'm going to, I'm going to move fairly quickly. The second part of the, 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 this section, and there's really more there than, than you can put in one sermon, so I'm not going to, to uh, spend a lot of time there. But it's a story of the fig tree and then the cleansing of the temple. And it's, the cleansing of the temple is sandwiched between the, with the, with the, uh, the, uh, by the, the fig tree. And, you know, we get all teary-eyed. Oh, poor little fig tree got cursed. No, it's, it's a judgment. It's a judgment on, not on the Jewish people, but on the temple's system that, that had, had come into being at that time. And what it was is, is, is Jesus was, comes in and he clears the temple for one primary reason. It isn't because there's money and they turned the place into Costco because that was part of, of the, what they had done to make the worship of the temple more easy, easy for the Jews. But in chapter, in chapter uh, verse 27, or verse 17, excuse me, he says, it is not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all. Is it not written that my house shall be called a prayer for all the nations? Notice that. But you have made it a den of robbers. It's not the money that's such a big, big issue here. It's that they had taken what was the court of the Gentiles. The only place the Gentiles could come and worship had been taken over by Costco. And they couldn't get through. And they, there was no room for anybody. It was, no, it was not a place to worship. And so the very people that the nation of Israel had been created to reach, to show them who the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was, they were shut out from that ability. And that's what Jesus was upset about. They couldn't worship. So recognizing the invitation means I submit my life on a daily basis. It's not just a once and for all thing. It's every day, every moment I have to do that. And second of all, it is the idea that recognizing God's authority is a doorway to abundance, not abuse. That taking that position of submitting my life to him today opens a doorway to, to freedom and joy. It, it allows me to be a fruitful expression in a barren land. When we submit our lives each day to Christ's humble authority, we find a doorway that opens our life to a generous and abundant experience. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, wells up out of us and it pours out and it touches people's lives because of the, the abundance and the fruitfulness that we're experiencing in submitting to His authority and His Spirit leading us. And what's more, when we do, the obstacles that look like mountains, aren't, they come into God's, into, we begin to see them the way God sees them. And the prayers that we pray come from a heart that reflects the heart of God, not my selfish desires. Godly authority is humble authority, people. And it recognizes that even in a life that doesn't, it turns in directions I didn't expect it to turn. I want to close today with a reading from a journal. This is a journal from my friend TJ. 
I knew TJ, or I met TJ when I was pastoring a church in Phoenix over 20 years ago. He was a gifted guy, is a gifted guy, musician, writer, loves Christ with all his heart. He and his wife Angie moved away to North Carolina a number of years ago. We haven't kept in very close contact, but he puts together a journal. A few years ago, he developed cancer, a deadly form of cancer. And he's been in treatment for a number of years, and he's been inviting people to pray. He's got a journal that he keeps sharing with people about the journey that he's on. And this was his last journal entry, or the most recent one. He said, I had a CT scan of the chest and an MRI of the abdomen on Friday last week. The pathology reports appeared that evening, and Angie and I read through them. And although it was a mixed bag, most of the index tumors have decreased in size a little bit. However, there is a new proliferation of tumors in my liver. We felt pretty good about the results. We were grateful for at least a little progress against the disease. During a brief telehealth appointment on Monday with my medical oncologist, he felt that the tumors were beginning to show a sort of immunity to the three chemo drugs that he had been receiving. He also made it clear that the goal of my treatment was longevity, to give me as much time as possible as a cure is out of the question with my condition. And then he writes this. We continue to be obedient to the Father, completely surrendered to his plan for us, trusting him and gratefully receiving each day the goodness he gives to us. That is submission to humble authority. That is the ability to look at life through the eyes of faith. And even though things don't turn out the way I think they're going to turn out or I hope they're going to turn out, there is one who does. And he's the one I'm going to submit my life to and I'm going to trust him. Sometimes you've got to make Christ, I think, most all the time. You've got to make Christ the Lord of your life every morning. But what you gain from that submission is far beyond anything you can come up with on your own. Would you pray with me? Father, we know you are good. And by good, I mean absolute goodness. There is no shadow of darkness in you. And that you know us by name. Forgive us for when we, we assume and we try to take the reins of our life that you don't know what you're doing and that I have a better plan for me than you. Give us eyes to see what what life could be if we daily surrendered ourselves to your plan 
and your purposes for us. Rather than trying to worry about all the things that could happen. Father, I just pray if there's somebody here this morning who's never put their faith in Christ or is online this morning listening in because somehow they ended up on this place, I pray, Father, that that your spirit would speak to them this morning and that their heart would somehow see what you see, that you know their name and you love them and you want them to trust you and not themselves for salvation, for life and eternity. Break through the hardness of heart, we pray, Father. And I pray this morning, if you're here, just open your heart to him. What he has to give us is so much better than what we can figure out on our own. If we would just trust you. And it involves telling him, which is just praying, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinful person. I know I don't live up to my own standards, let alone yours. I ask that you would forgive me because of what Christ did on the cross for me. Come into my life and and show me what you have that is so much better than what I'm trying to put together for myself here. Thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to save me. Thank you, Lord, for being the authority of all life. Help us, Father, today to submit to you, submit to him, knowing that it is a place of abundance, not abuse. It is a place of hope, not fear. It is a place of life, not death. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.